Hi, my name is Fiona Zeiger and you're listening to the Migration Podcast. Until about the end of the past century, visits, phone calls, letters and remittances were common means to upholding relationships across distance and showing care. Today, mobile devices and fast internet connections open new avenues to stay in touch and thus change the ways in which care is expressed and practiced across distance. In this episode, my co-producer Jelena speaks to Loretta Baldassar about her work on transnational families, media practices, care and aging in migration in Australia. Welcome to the Amisco podcast. Today we are speaking with Professor Loretta Baldassar from Anthropology and Sociology at the University of Western Australia. So Loretta has had quite an extensive career She has published widely and researched widely on transnational migration, care, and most recently, ageing. So welcome, Loretta. It's such a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your research background and some of the approaches that you've brought to your fields of research? Sure. Um, I started as a migration scholar um, looking at the experiences of second generation, so-called second generation Italian migrants in Australia. This was largely inspired by my own experience of being a second generation Italian migrant living in Australia. Um, So my very early work was looking at intergenerational issues, issues of culture and identity and belonging and settlement. But then my first major study was a very early example of transnational migration approach. Mm-hmm. My question, my central question at the time was what, what is the relationship between migrants in the diaspora community and the family members and community members who stayed home, who didn't migrate, so the non-migrants and the migrants. And it seems really an obvious question today, but back then it was a very one of the first, I think, examples of an Australian ethnographic study of the relationship between diaspora and hometown uh, communities. And that became a book called Visits Home because what linked them, these two communities, was the visit experience. And this is, you know, we're talking pre-polymedia context. So this is before Skype, before the internet, and just as travel was becoming more affordable for the average person. So Loretta, in some of your more recent work, you've been bringing together a lot of these intersections between emotions, um, choices for media practices between family members, and increased technologized environments. How has that impacted on transnational families in more recent years, in the last five years or so? Well, it's been just a major social transformation, I think, hasn't it? I mean, you're right. So that early work that I did featured the visit as the quintessential experience of transnational connections. But since the polymedia revolution, and I think you're right to emphasise that the key issue about the polymedia context is that we have a set of choices about how we stay in touch now. This introduces a moral element. Is it adequate to text message happy birthday to your mum overseas 
or do you need to pick up the phone? When is it appropriate to Skype? And working all of this out is a really delicate and complex set of matters, you know, that are emotional. So from, you know, the young guy who says he had to train his mum to only send one emoticon or emoji or um, I think this in his case it was actually a Viber sticker, one Viber sticker a day because she was inundating him with these stickers which were obviously symbols of her love and affection and missing him and he had to train her, he said, these are his words, had to train her just to send one a day because it was just too much. So I think it's been a radical social transformation and others of course write about this as well. Um, but if I reflect on on my data in particular, I've more recently come to focus on the process of ageing uh, because I think transnational families in Australia until up until now have been largely the preserve of adult migrant children living in Australia and their ageing parents living overseas. I think that's been the primary context of transnational families in the Australian setting. Um, those adult children have their own children, so there's also this element of grandparents being separated from yeah. their grandchildren. One of the uh, pieces of work that really speaks to my own research with migration, you talk about guilty feelings and feelings of ambivalence that are associated with being constantly available or constant contact or, for example, if you have the means to send 50 stickers or 50 emojis a day across your own routine, why wouldn't you? But when we dig a little bit deeper, and this speaks to long uh, areas of investigation in anthropology around kinship and f families as structure but also families as practices, what are some of the immediate insights that you think has come about for this kind of messy area of guilty feelings, ambivalence, rather than simply separating out technology for good or technology is bad? What I think um, the main insight from my work to date is that we are really exploring and challenging very deeply held normative understandings of how we care for each other mm -hmm. and even maybe challenging and reshaping ontological notions of care. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean to care? You know, it's really taken for granted and certainly in other disciplines like the medical disciplines, public health, nursing, that you care, to care well you need to be proximate, you need to be physically co-present mm -hmm. and I don't think anyone would dispute that. However, because our work is looking very much at the challenge of distance, we have also had these insights about that we shouldn't assume that distance results in a lesser form of care, or we shouldn't assume that non-physical or non-proximate forms of care are not significant. Mm -hmm. So I like to move away from which is better, which is bad, yeah. and talk about the relationship between online, offline worlds, the relationship between distant and proximate forms of care. So we know that before and after a visit, we have an increased set of practices around virtual forms of co-presence mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. digital care in order sometimes to organise the visit. <laughs> and the more you visit, 
the more likely you are to have more virtual forms of connection. Mm -hmm. So it's about the relationship between them. A visit may also create a rift and there might be less communication, but it's about the relationship between the two. Yeah. You know. And this is what your current project is really trying to look at, overcoming or rather working with uh, care across distance and the means for care across distance. Uh, Some of your recent work has looked at the context of care and ageing in Australia and I was actually quite shocked at some of the circumstances you spoke about. For example, it was the Commission last year, their report was entitled Neglect and for a large amount of the population where the immediate concern or the immediate circumstances are living away from where they would have grown up or um, living away from family they would have grown up with, Um, Can you tell us a bit about the context of the current state of ageing and care as a pressing problem in Australia and how it links to transnational families, diaspora and care across distance? Yeah, I mean, I began looking at ageing because my primary field site, Italian migrants, began to age. You know, they are, I think, something like 75 or 80 percent of the Italy born in Australia are today over the age of 75. Oh, wow. So it's a really aging population. And that's the same as all the post-war Southern European migrants. So um, I like to say that migration is an ageing issue in Australia and ageing is a migration issue. Mm -hmm. Also because a large proportion of our aged care workforce is also a migrant workforce. So one in three people in Australia over the age of 65 were born overseas. And there's several issues here. So I spoke already about how the quintessential transnational family in Australia is arguably the adult migrant child caring for an ageing parent overseas. And sometimes, you know, what children would like to do, adult children, is bring their parents over to migrate, to join them, Mm -hmm. which was possible under our previous family reunion-led migration policy. And in fact, many Southern Europeans brought their parents over. Family reunion was the main way people got into Australia up until the year 1999. Mm -hmm. But now it's increasingly difficult. In fact, there are two parent migration streams, but both of them are really not functioning. One of them is the contributory stream, which costs over $50,000. So it's not functioning because nobody can afford it, Mm -hmm. or very few. In fact, there are so few stats, they're not published. Wow. And the other way is the non-contributory stream, which is relatively affordable, but there's a 30-plus year waiting list. Oh, goodness. So most people in the line just don't have the life expectancy yeah. to wait. I was going to um, say the 30-year waiting list for an ageing person is, is significant. Extremely significant, that's right. So what the government did recently was introduce a number of visiting visas, and some of these are long-term visits, So people, for example, people can have multiple entry visits and they can stay up to 12 months at a time, but at some point they have to go back and Mm -hmm. renew their visit visa. So this brings a host of other issues. This is all around a discourse that ageing is going to cost the public purse, is going Mm -hmm. to cost the healthcare system, without recognising the significant value that older parents 
play in providing informal care. What were some of the things that came out of some of your work with the ageing communities here in Perth, especially around some of the programs that um, you and your team implemented? So we learnt that people can very effectively care for each other across distance using digital media. And we became increasingly aware of the role that digital citizenship and digital literacy can play in older people's lives in sustaining, maintaining and even expanding their support networks. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to apply some of those learnings to, you know, the national context, if you like. Um, The state of aged care currently diminishes us all as a nation. It's characterised by a transactional approach. And it's also true to say that funding is really limited to the sector and it is built on a medical approach to Mm. care. And I'd have no dispute with the importance of medicine and the medical model that, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, we do need to be aware of, of medical issues. But what is profoundly missing, and I think the interim report shows this is that there is a lack of development of what we call social care or the social relational the social network side of care so one of the main findings that I've interpreted anyway out of this interim report called neglect is that while the medical model is alive and well and we are learning lots about how to treat people medically There's a complete gap when it comes to the importance of what I call social care. Mm -hmm. So let me give you an example. Elderly person moved into residential care, has a daughter living in Melbourne, a son in the UK. Her world is radically reduced because of this move into residential care. She can no longer walk to the local shops. She can no longer be visited by her neighbours. Her neighbours find it difficult to come in and visit her in residential care. Mm -hmm. You know, the way residential care is sort of so separated out from community life is one of the problems as well. She enjoyed, you know, regular phone contact with her children and that was an essential source of not just... Um, emotional support but also practical advice with all the sorts of things that come up in her day Mm -hmm. but also what we call proxy care by distance so you know her daughter would be able to manage getting someone to come in to help her Mm -hmm. or arranging for the supports she needed now she's in residential care so a lot of that is looked after by the residential care provider But her social world has diminished. Mm. Her emotional supports are no longer there. She doesn't have a landline connection in her room because Mm -hmm. people are assumed to have mobile phones. Um, So what our project does is, you know, suggest that we could include into her care plan a care worker to facilitate a Skype call Mm -hmm. with her daughter. And if you add in the complexity of limited English which reduces for migrants as they get older, Mm -hmm. then you have another issue, another layer of problem where, you know, maybe the care worker speaks a different language, their language, English is second language. The older migrants rapidly reducing the English they did have. Um, 
So that Skype call to the daughter or son becomes even more important Mm -hmm. because the daughter and son is an interpreter, not just of language, not just translating language, but culture and can facilitate the social identity and cultural identity of this person within the context of the care home so that, you know, the care worker gets to engage in communication with the daughter as if she were there in person yeah. and really facilitating well-being in those ways that we know are central to mental health and even physical health. In fact, the evidence suggests that mental and you know, emotional well-being really is the key yeah. even to motivating us of to course. be able to do our physical health mm-hmm. and so on. Yeah. So these are the kinds of examples of our current work. Thank you so very much for speaking with me and being part of the Imisco Migration podcast series and for sharing your amazing insights. I have to admit that when we think about the consequences of migration or some of the pressing issues with migration, we do forget that a lot of the lived experiences are embedded in these routines and everyday quotidian practices that are part of our extended relationships in both directions and your work is so valuable for drawing our attention to that. Thank you Jelena for your fantastic questions. I've really enjoyed this and thank you for the opportunity to participate in this great project. Loretta Baldassar is Professor of Anthropology and Sociology at the University of Western Australia.